Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would teach us. As we talk about prayer, we ask that you would teach us on prayer. Lord, that you would give us a a sense uh, of what is on your heart. Lord, that you'd break our hearts for the things that break your heart. That you would give us eyes to see what, um, what in our community we need to see and give us a desperation that will lead us to prayer. Lord, we recognize that we desperately need to be connected to you for all things, for ministry, for mission, for godly living. It all depends on our connection with you. And so we recognize prayer as that connection and, and it's therefore super important. So Lord, teach us about prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen. We're taking a few weeks off of our series on the life and times of Jesus Christ to go over the core values of the church. Oh, yep, sorry. Our junior hires need to, to take off with Kai. Junior hires are dismissed. <clears throat> As I said, we're going to take a, a few weeks off of our, our series to go through the core values of the church. And we want to do this every so often, and probably every couple of years, we're going to go back over the core values of the church because we don't want to, at any point, become distracted from or drift from those things which are foundational to us as a church. This helps us to stay focused, and it gives us a level of accountability to be what we say that we are. If we say we're a people of worship, then when we go back over our core values, we're going to ask ourselves, are we worshipers? As we go over prayer, we're going to ask ourselves, are we a church that pray? If we say these are our core values, then they need to be the things that we practice. And and so we're going to go back over these. Last week, we started this with the first of our core values, which is worship as a lifestyle. Um, Asking ourselves, do we truly love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength? Because if we do... And if the Lord is our all in all, and He means the most to us, and He's the object of our worship, then it will affect everything else in our life. Everything else will flow from that relationship, that love that we have from the Lord. So we started that first and foremost with worship because we recognize that everything will flow from that, and we don't want to be a church that's just playing church, because we could do that. We could come over here, set everything up, and just be playing church. We don't want to do that. We want to love the Lord with all of our heart, and then we want ministry, mission, and godly living to flow from that. Today, we're going to go into our second core value, which is prayer. If you've been around here for very long, you know that we are super into prayer. And I talk about prayer all the time up here. And because we're talking now about prayer as a core value, we want to ask the question, why? Why is this so important? I mean, it's one thing that I talk a lot about prayer, but, but if we're going to talk about it in, in the context of core values, why is it so important? Why do we talk so much about it? Why do I constantly pr- pump the need for prayer and prayer meetings? And there's a few main things here that we're going to touch on as to why we need to be a people of prayer. Now, one of which we've covered thoroughly recently When we went through the Lord's Prayer, we covered one of these um, fairly thoroughly. And it also has to do with our core value from last week, which is worship. And that is that if we love God, 
with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and God loves us, which we know He does. He's absolutely nuts about us. He wants relationship with us. If He loves us and we love Him, and He wants relationship with us and we want relationship with Him, then prayer should be pretty natural for us. We should want to pray. We should want to spend time with with the person whom we love the most. I, I absolutely love my wife, and I want to spend time with her. And so therefore, if I absolutely love the Lord and know He loves me, then I I just naturally want to spend time with Him. The psalmist says in Psalm 116.1, he says, I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my supplications. Because He's inclined His ear to me, therefore I shall call upon Him as long as I live. And we've talked a lot about that aspect of prayer. The need to pray because we need to be closest to whom we love the most. And so we've talked a lot about that recently. And so we're not going to really go deep into that other than to say, if we're going to bring up the subject of prayer, it just needs to be included in that, just to be thorough. But right now we're going to talk about two other aspects of prayer, two other reasons that prayer is so important. Number one is that the connection to God is a connection to power. A connection to God is a connection to power for ministry, mission, and godly living. The mission of Christ in this world, and this is the point, the mission of Christ in this world has always been soaked in and inseparable from prayer. We see it both in the life of Christ Himself, and we see it in the early church following His example. The second one is that prayer changes things. That prayer changes things. And so those are the two points that we're going to look at this morning. First, the mission of Christ in this world, that is, all that He did when Jesus walked this earth and all that He continues to do now through His church has always been soaked in and inseparable from prayer. First off, before anything else, We can't miss the prayer life of Christ. You see, Jesus always existed as God, as that second person in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the Trinity. One God existing in three persons, same in character, same in nature, same in essence, yet doing different things kind of tough to understand. And as we get back into our series on the life and times of Jesus, we'll be addressing that pretty soon. But Jesus has always existed as God, but humbled himself coming to earth as a man. And scripture tells us in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, Christ Jesus, though he was God, did not think equality with God a thing to cling to. Instead, he gave up, and this is important to this, what we're talking about. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. And he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. And so, God the Son, always existing in heaven, handed over for a time his divine privilege 
humbled himself and came to earth on the greatest mission that was ever embarked upon. But in that humble position, Jesus said of himself, he said in John 12, 49 and 50, he says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what I should say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. Then in John 14, 31, it says, But so that the, wor- um, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And so Jesus, in this humble state, comes to earth, and he's getting his direction for mission from the Father. And Scripture records for us the commitment of Jesus' prayer life as he was here on this earth. You guys have heard this, but I'm going to read them for you again. Luke 6.12 says, It was at that time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In Luke 5.16 it says, But Jesus himself would often slip away in the wilderness to pray. Mark 1.35, In the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And so what we can tell from the testimony of Scripture is that often, late, and sometimes all night long, Jesus would pray. The point being this. The mission of Christ in this world has always been inseparable from and soaked in prayer. And the disciples, they saw this, and they picked up on this, and they made the connection between the power that Jesus had in ministry and his prayer life. It says in Luke chapter 11, 1, that it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished praying, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Scripture doesn't record the disciples ever asking Jesus to teach them for anything else except to pray. The only thing that the Holy Scripture ever records that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them, and Jesus did a whole lot of cool stuff, was to pray. And I believe that's significant. And I believe it's because the disciples put two and two together and they realized that everything else flowed from that. Everything else was dependent upon, connected to a dynamic prayer life and connection with the Father. And so after watching Jesus in ministry and after watching Jesus pray, they come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. It wasn't long before this episode there in Luke chapter 11, it wasn't long before this, that several of the disciples had had a major league failure in a very heavy ministry situation. This is basically what happened. Well, they had this failure, and and then they came to Jesus, and they asked him, 
Why did we fail in ministry? Why did we struggle? Why were we not capable? And Jesus then points to a lack of prayer life. And that takes us to our text. So so look at Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Now, just prior to this, just prior to verse 14, Jesus had taken his disciples, Peter, James, and John, he had taken them up on what's known as the Mount of Transfiguration and all that, that transpired there. We're, we're going to teach that in our series on the life and times of Jesus. But what we need to know for this morning is that he left most of his disciples, the other nine disciples, behind. Jesus takes three disciples up on the mountain, leaves the other disciples behind with a large crowd. There had been a large crowd now following Jesus by this time in his ministry. And a part of that crowd was some scribes. These scribes were um, religious leaders that were largely antagonistic to Jesus. They were often stirring up trouble for him. And we pick up in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, with Jesus now coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and finding his disciples going at it with these scribes. And we pick up in verse 14, it says, when... Uh, when they came back to the disciples, a lar- um, they saw the large crowd around them, and some of the scribes were arguing that, with them. And immediately, uh, when the entire crowd saw him, speaking of Jesus, when the crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed, and they began running up, running up to greet him. And Jesus asked them, what are you discussing with them? He's asking his disciples, what are you arguing about with these scribes at this point? And one in the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He stiffens out. And, it, and I told your disciples to cast it out. But notice what it says. And they could not do it. And he answered them and he said, Oh, unbelieving generation. He's now talking to his disciples. Oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, he immediately, um, when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions, falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. We're talking about a serious, serious ministry situation. Big issue going on here. And it says, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the, and the man replied, from childhood. It is often thrown in both in the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe and help my unbelief. When he saw the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit and he um, saying to it, you deaf mute spirit, I command you come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out and the boy became much like a corpse. And most of them said that he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, um, and he got up. And, when, and this is important to us, verse 28. And when he came into the house, his disciples began to question him privately. Why 
couldn't we drive it out? And notice Jesus' answer. And he said to him, said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. You see, the disciples had largely been with Jesus when these big ticket ministry items hit. When, when there was major league issues, Jesus was there. But now with Jesus not there, they had a failure. They were unable to do what they needed to do. And we can't miss this. When Jesus comes back and he addresses what's going on with his disciples and the scribes in this situation, he gets upset with the disciples showing that they should have been able to handle the situation. And he says in verse 19, he answers, he says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I have to be with you? How long should I put up with you? And you can hear in that kind of the exasperation of Jesus. Like, guys, you should have been able to handle this. And then Jesus points out where the deficiency comes from and where their ineffectiveness comes from when he then says, as they come into the house and they ask Jesus, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why were we unable here? And Jesus points out that this is a situation that could have only been handled by prayer. And Jesus wasn't talking about the fact that they didn't try. And he wasn't, he wasn't talking about like prayer in the moment as if they didn't pray over the boy because they tried. It tells us in verse 28. But rather Jesus is pointing to a lifestyle of prayer. A, a connectedness with God that would have prepared them for ministry. These guys weren't prepared for ministry. Two things that, that I notice here and I want us to reflect on. Number one is that there is a real spiritual battle going on for the lives and the souls of individuals. There's real ministry here. There's real pain within a family here. And these guys were unprepared. And for us, we need to be conscious of the fact that there is a real spiritual battle going on right now for the lives and the souls of the people of our community. And there's real ministry to be done. And there's real pains going on. And, and then the question would come to us, are we prepared? Are we prepared for ministry at that level? Because that preparedness only comes through prayer. Jesus said this situation was only going to be handled through prayer, through a true, meaningful, dynamic, spirit-filled prayer life with the Father. Simply put, in Mark chapter 9, the disciples lacked prayer, and so therefore the disciples lacked power. And that is always the case, because God is our power source, and prayer is our connection to Him. And that's why in regard to prayer, you'll often hear me quote uh, Leonard Ravenhill, who says that if we fail here, we fail everywhere. In regard to prayer, guys, church, if we fail here, we fail everywhere. What's interesting is that the coming to Jesus and asking Him 
to teach them to pray happened right after this failure. See, they made the connection. The disciples obviously made the connection and they caught on to this. And then they began to example Jesus in prayer as they became the church. And the early church was birthed in prayer. And it withstood persecution from the prayer meetings. And they got their direction for mission in the prayer meetings. It tells us in the books of Acts. And in the book of Acts, it tells us that the disciples and the early church were committed to prayer. It says in in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, These, speaking of the disciples, it said that these disciples, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Again, in Acts chapter 2, 42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The portrait of the early church is that they were a church that prayed. And so, we as a church who long to see God move, who in here longs to see God move? I mean, if we long to see God move, and we long to be on mission in this world with God, then we must be a people of prayer. And we must see that the mission of Christ, be it when He walked the earth, or the work that he's now doing through the church, or the work that he did through the early church, was always soaked in and inseparable from prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. Not of singing, not of preaching. All those things are important and we practice those. But he said, my house, first and foremost should be a house of prayer. Alan Redpath once said that we will only advance in our evangelistic work as fast and as far as we advance on our knees. I love that statement. We will only advance in our evangelistic work as fast and as far as we advance on our knees. And so as we endeavor to live life on mission, we must, as individuals and as a church, we must have a real, meaningful, dynamic prayer life and connected connection to our Lord. We've got to have it. Charles Spurgeon once said that if God be near a church, it must pray. And if He be not there, one of the first tokens of His absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. We got to be a church that prays. This church plant, when we first started it, was birthed in prayer. For about five months before we ever even opened the doors, every Tuesday night we, we would get together and, and pray. This church plant was birthed in prayer. And then we said, well, some people can't come on nights, so we're going to do a morning prayer meeting. So Wednesday mornings over at the Roosie's house, right here, we gather together and pray. And your home groups, how are your home groups going? First week of home groups, I've heard nothing but super cool stuff. But have you noticed that we built a prayer meeting right into the home group so that we would be a church that prays? And so when you come to home groups, don't just come there to get, come there to give, come there to be a part of that prayer 
Come there with prayer on your heart. Come there ready to pray for other people, to lay hands on them. You're not just coming to talk about what we talked about, you know, in the Word of God. You're also coming to pray because we need to be a church that prays. And then we started in my endeavor, this is my endeavor, I've told you this already, to be the church that eclipses all other churches in prayer. I want to be the most prolific praying church on the planet ever. And so then we said, well, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And so then we started 24-7 prayer. And there's about 80, 85 of you guys that have signed up for 24-7 prayer. And one of the coolest things in this church, maybe the coolest thing to me, other than loving all you guys, but is this 24-7 prayer where we have somebody 24 hours a day praying for you guys, praying for this community, praying for this church, praying for the homelessness, praying for all the needs, everything that's going on. 24 hours a day, somebody's praying. It's such a cool thing. I had prayer this morning. And it's such a cool thing to get up early in the morning and realize that some, somebody just stopped praying. It's my turn to take over praying, and I'm praying through my hour, and then when it's time to go back to bed, then somebody else just got up, and they're, they're taking over. They're grabbing the mantle of prayer and running with it. One of the most meaningful things that we do as a church, I feel, we've got to be a church that prays, and we're in no way looking to back down. We want to step this up. Soon we're going to start talking about world missions. We're going to start having uh, prayer nights for, for the nations, prayer for the nations. And so we're not looking to back down. We believe that if we pray, God will move. We believe that if we pray, God will break addictions in our community. We believe that God will restore families that are estranged from one another. We believe that God will stop abuses in our community. We believe God will open inroads to areas that have never heard the gospel. We believe that people's lives will be transformed by Jesus Christ if we pray. We believe that. We believe people will be delivered. And that takes us to our last point, that prayer changes things. That prayer changes things. Every time the Bible talks about prayer. It talks about prayer changing something. When God's people stood in the gap, when they cried out to their God, it changed things. Strongholds of evil were dismantled. Cities and nations and peoples and situations were changed. Battles were won. Diseases were healed. Hearts were changed when we read in Scripture that people prayed and we believe that's true. And it's kind of a wild thing when you think about it. That God Almighty moves at our prayers. Isn't that such a, a, a radical thing to comprehend? That the hand of God actually moves in response to our prayers. That to some degree God has committed Himself to move in response to our prayers. But it's just an amazing testimony of the relational God that we have, that our prayers would change things. 
Not that you're going to get God to do something that's against His will. Look, God is sovereign. Your prayers do not twist His arm in any way to get Him to violate His will. That just isn't going to happen. But listen to 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we've asked from Him. If we pray anything according to His will. And so the testimony of Scripture is that to some degree, God moves in response to our prayer. But the testimony of Scripture also says that to some degree, God doesn't move when we don't pray. It says in James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. All that's kind of wild. That, that in some way, God Almighty moves at our prayers, but then in another way, to some degree, He doesn't move when we don't pray. You do not have because you do not ask. Jim Cimbala in the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire said this. If you haven't read this book, please read it. It's a phenomenal book. He said, if you call upon the Lord, I'm sorry, if we call upon the Lord, He has promised in His Word to answer, to bring the unsaved to Himself, to pour out His Spirit among us. If we don't call upon the Lord, He has promised nothing, nothing at all. It's as simple as that. No matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend on our times of prayer. In some wild, amazing, unfathomable way. God moves in response to our prayer. And that's why I say, I believe that God's going to do things in our community, change lives in our community, change eternities if we pray. Let me give you a couple of wild examples from Scripture of God moving in regard to people's prayer. In Amos chapter 7, a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in Amos. But in Amos chapter 7, God is about to judge His people for turning from Him, for for vain worship and not having a heart sold out for God. And God's about to judge His people. And it says there that that Amos is then given a vision of this judgment. And the the first one was that God was going to send locusts to eat all of the crops and all of the swarm upon all of the crops and they weren't going to have anything to eat. And it says, when he finished giving this vision to Amos, then it said uh, that Amos cried out to the Lord and he said, I said, Lord, please pardon. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. And then it says, the Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. That's just absolutely radical to me. And it goes on to to give the next judgment that he's going to do. And that there's going to be this consuming fire that comes upon the land. 
And then Amos again said, Lord, please stop. How can Jacob stand for he is small? And then it says again, the Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. See, God was right and God was just to judge these guys. He was right to judge them. But God is also a God of mercy. And when one man prayed, it moved the hand of God. And God gave mercy. We see it again in Exodus chapter 32. Moses had gone away to the mountain to to hear from God and had left the people behind. And after a while, they got restless. And they talked to Aaron, and they said, we want to build this golden calf. And they built this golden calf. And they began to bow down to this calf. And they began to say, behold, the God that delivered us from Egypt. I mean, they had just been taken out of Egypt by God Almighty, the parting of the Red Sea and everything. Now they make this golden calf. And it says in Exodus that God wanted to kill them for it. He he tells Moses to get out of the way that I may destroy them. And Moses entreated the Lord. He prayed to the Lord God and he said, why does your anger burn against them? And he asked the Lord, he says, turn your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. And at the end of that episode, it says, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm that he was going to do to the people. And God was right and God was just to judge these people. He just brought them out of Egypt. He just parted the Red Sea. And now they're bowing down to a golden calf going, Behold, the God that brought us out of Egypt, this golden calf. But God is a God of abundant mercy. I know that in my life. He's a God of mercy. And when one man prayed, it changed things. Now, we need to be careful with this when we talk about God changing His mind. Because God doesn't change His mind like we change our mind. We'll change our mind, just flippantly change our mind about something. Yesterday I like vanilla, today I like chocolate. We change our mind. We change our mind when we're wrong about things. And and then we get more information, and we find out that we're wrong, then we change our mind. We, we change our mind when we don't have all the info. And somebody then comes along and gives us all the info, and, and then we'll change our mind. But, but look, God is never wrong. And God always has all the info. He is all-knowing. And so when it says that God changed His mind, what it means is that He relented from an undesirable course of action. That He relented from an undesirable course of action. God didn't want to wipe out the whole Exodus generation. He didn't want to judge the people of Amos' time. And He withheld judgment. And He extended mercy. And this is what we have to get. Because somebody prayed. Because one man prayed. One man stood in the gap and cried out for people. God withheld the judgment. And he extended mercy. Prayer changes things. Now, the opposite 
of this happened in Ezekiel chapter 22. Again, in Ezekiel chapter 22, God is about to judge the people. And he says, right before he judges the people, he says this to Ezekiel. He says, I have searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before, the, um, stand in the gap before me for the land. He's saying, I've been looking for somebody who would stand in the gap, who would cry out to me for the people of the land so that I might not destroy them. And then it says this, but I found no one. And I poured out my indignation upon them. That's just radical. When somebody would stand in the gap, it held back the judgment of God and the mercy of God was extended. When a man was searched for and not found, nobody would stand in the gap for the people. It says that God searched for a man that he might not destroy them, but not a man was found, and he poured out his indignation about him. That's just mind-blowing. But it's right there in Scripture. And I say that, and I bring those out, that we as a church would get a consciousness that prayer changes things. That in some wild way, mysterious to me, God has somehow committed Himself to us when we pray. Therefore, and somebody prayed this this morning during our time of prayer this morning. Every morning we have a, a prayer meeting here at 8.30. Somebody prayed about the gift of prayer that God has given us. God has given us a phenomenal gift with prayer that Almighty God would hear our prayers. Not only hear our prayers, but love to hear our prayers. It says in, Re- in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, that our prayers are like golden bowls of incense before God, that He loves to hear our prayers. And not only that God hears our prayers and loves to hear our prayers, but that He has somehow committed Himself to respond to our prayers. Now, that being true, that being the testimony of Scripture, who but the church can then stand in the gap for our world, for our nation, for our community, for our families? Who but the church can stand in that gap? Who should carry that mantle of prayer? That being true, that being the testimony of Scripture, what should the prayer life of a church be like? If prayer changes things, how dynamic, how committed, how powerful should our prayer life be? But here's the thing that I kept going back to all week as I studied for this. As I studied to teach prayer, I realized you can't teach prayer. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. You can only teach what the Bible says about prayer. But we need a move of the Holy Spirit. We need an experience where God comes and teaches us to pray. I do not believe that you can teach prayer, and I do not believe that a sermon 
is going to radically change the prayer life of anybody in here. We need a, a move of the Holy Spirit to concern us with what concerns Christ. We need a move of the Holy Spirit to break our hearts for what breaks the heart of God, to open our eyes to the spiritual battle that's going on for souls all around us, to give us a true sense of our desperation for God. People will never pray until they feel that desperation for God. You see, we could, we could rally it together, and we could get together, and we could conjure up prayer. We could do a prayer meeting. I've sat in prayer meetings for a long time, some of which I wish I wasn't in because of the spirit of them. Because they felt dead. You know why they felt dead? Because we needed a move of the Spirit of God. And so as we get into a time of worship, and you guys being the church, and us now carrying the mantle of prayer, and prayer changing things, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To ask God to pour out His Spirit upon us. Like never before. To concern us with the things that concern Him. To break our hearts with the things that break His heart. Because if He pours out His Spirit upon us, we will be a church that sees our desperation for Him. Listen, what we're called to do, we cannot do. You're not powerful. I'm not powerful enough. I can't break the addictions. I can't restore the families. I can't change people's hearts. I can't change people's eternities. It's God that does that. But He can do it through me. He can do it through you. And so let's pray now as we get into a time of worship that God would pour out His Spirit and show us. Oftentimes, we're desperate for God. We just don't know it. Every breath that we have is from Him. We're desperate for Him. But oftentimes, it's too easy for us. We can set up all the gear. We can play church. But I'm pleading to the church right now not to play church. To be the church. And the church can't be the church without being connected to God. Amen? So let's pray and ask God to pour out His Spirit upon us. Teach us to be a people of prayer and ask Him to move among us now. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we can't do it without You. We read in Your Word that prayer changes things. And we see that, that there's change that needs to happen. There's change that needs to happen in our hearts. We need to be more like You. There's change that needs to happen in our community. Lord, there's people hurting. There's people that don't know you and are headed for hell and they need heaven. And we need a sense of that desperation. Lord, you've called us to reach the nations. We can't do that without you. And so as a church, together, we declare our absolute dependence upon you. We declare an absolute need for you to move among us. Lord, pour out your Spirit as we worship, as we cry out to you individually, 
to take us deeper with you, to break our hearts, to mold us, to change us. Lord, change us. Lord, we need you. And as a church, we confess that we are desperate for you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.